Uh, the date of this recording is April 12th, 2023. I know it's not going to premiere for a couple weeks, but Jim, Chris, yes, we have Chris McCarver with us today, who is our special guest. We got to talk about what dropped today. Jim, go ahead and, and, and talk about what dropped today. Yeah, what a total coincidence that we have Chris on the, on the, on the show tonight, right? Because it just works out that all three of us worked on, on the, on the big release today. So, uh, you know, yeah, it's April 12th and, uh, Finally, after what feels like forever, we're finally we were finally able to announce the fact that we we at uh, you know Paramount added a lower deck store license, which was super exciting that they they trust us with the um with the IP and the property and they love what we're doing with the game and uh, they they know how respective respectful we are of the property and how all the great work that all the writers and I have done uh, over the years now and and the artists and everybody else in Medivius like it's not just me it's it's clearly the whole team. Uh, we've done such a great job over the years that they gave us lower decks, which is super, super exciting. And we've had to sit on it. We've had to sit on that news forever. And this is a big team. Right? I mean, there's probably, I don't know, 100 people that have been involved in this thing with from Modiphius and the freelancers and everybody else that a lot of people knew about this. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we, we all managed to keep uh, keep quiet about it until now. So, uh, yeah. Right. That uh, uh, Star Trek.com uh, for the first time in years gave us a two hour exclusive window on their website to promote the, you know, to, we sent them the press release and the, and the art assets and stuff. And they gave us a two hour exclusive window for them. And then we started sending it out to all the other um, agencies and for promotions. So super excited to announce that the lower decks is, uh, is part of the Star Trek adventures family now officially. And uh, we've got um, crew packs and the standalone adventure and mission briefs and uh, the big old honking uh, 240 page full color hardcover coming out this summer. Uh, we're expecting to, uh, you know, um, uh, go and pre-order in June-ish. And then uh, we're hoping, uh, you know, the world being what it is, we're hoping that the book will be uh, premiering at Gen Con. So we'll see what happens there. Uh, yep. But more, more about that to come in the coming months. We've got tons of cool stuff coming up in terms of like promotions and uh, PR and all that great stuff. So Lower Decks is here. So Lower Decks, Lower Decks, Lower Decks. Uh, yep. I love it. It's a great show. I have... I, it took me a little while to warm up to it, but I'm really digging it. And uh, they got season four coming and they've already greenlit season five. So we know it's going to be around for a while. So super, super excited. And thank you both. Uh, I know I'll, I'll say it again, but I want to make sure I tell you because you're both face to face right now with me. Uh, thank you both for all your hard work on it because it came out really, really good. And I can't wait to finally get it into your hands so we can be uh, talking about it here real soon. Right. And so as of course, as continuing conversations, everyone drops into this podcast in the middle of it. So let's do some quick introductions and of course, explain why Chris McCarver, who through pure, pure, pure good coincidence was here for this interview today. So we're going to get a lot into his background because he's one of my favorite writers for Star Trek Adventures, writers for Star Trek, actually, the, the novels too. Um, but we're going to get into his his um, involvement in Lower Decks, but I want everyone to know that we're going to have a breakdown of the Lower Decks book in coming weeks. So we're not going to get super detailed today, but we are going to whet your appetite for it. I'm Michael Dismuke. I'm with Continuing Missions, which is the number one uh, uh, site for, for fans for Star Trek Adventures RPG. We've been going strong since 2018. And of course, um, I'm a freelance writer for Star Trek Adventures. We also have with us Jim Johnson. Introduce yourself. Yep, for sure. Hey, everybody. I'm Jim Johnson. I'm the project manager for Star Trek Adventures. 
and the line editor for Star Trek Adventures, published by Modifius Entertainment. Low these seven years now, and uh, we're going strong. We got uh, plenty more stuff in the pipeline, working hard. And uh, Lord Dex is the is the latest fruits of that labor coming soon. Or actually, some of the stuff is out now, but coming soon. So uh, yeah, just uh, cranking away here. The machine can't be stopped. We've got tons of Star Trek stuff, Star Trek Adventure stuff to come. And uh, you know, as long as Paramount keeps pumping out new series and keeps liking us and giving us the new series, then uh, we'll be busy for a while here. So see what happens. But uh, in the meantime, let's uh, uh, get our guests to introduce themselves. Uh, Chris, tell us a little bit about yourself. And as uh, is traditional here on Star Trek Adventures, we need to know who your favorite captain is and your favorite Star Trek series. Oh, that's a big one. Okay, um, my name is uh, Chris McCarver. I'm uh, one of the uh, freelance writers for uh, Star Trek Adventures. Uh, I've worked on the Operations Division book, uh, the Klingon Core book. Uh, I wrote the adventure that came in the Klingon GM kit, The Sleeping Beast. Uh, also worked on the Discovery book, and as I was just announced, uh, I also worked on the on the Lower Decks uh, crew, uh, crew packs for seasons one and two, as well as the campaign guide. And uh, in addition to that, I'm also a writer for uh, Marvel Comics. I mainly do um, uh, reference guides for stuff like the Marvel Universe handbooks, the MCU guidebooks, and uh, I re- and uh, actually, I just recently uh, did a slight contribution to the Marvel Multiverse RPG that Marvel is doing. Although it was it was it was admittedly a small uh, contribution, I helped pick out art for it, but uh, I was glad to be a part of it in in, in any case. <laughs> Okay, well, I'm going to talk about my history with you, Chris, knowing you, because when I came into Star Trek Adventures in 2017, 2018, I was like, okay, this is new to me. I had never played anything but Marvel superheroes RPG and all the iterations of it afterwards, Margaret Weiss, all that stuff. When I found out you were a writer for Star Trek Adventures, I remember I reached out to you because I'm a big Marvel fan. And so today I really want to dig into your background, find out about you, uh, a little bit more about your Marvel side um, and then actually how you met Jim and ended up working for Star Trek Adventures. That's going to be a big point of interest for me. Good. So, um, oh, go so, so maybe maybe I can start with um, how did you first start writing for RPGs in general? Was was it? Star Trek Adventures, your first one, or were you already involved with others? Um, Star Trek Adventures was my first RPG. Uh, oh, a, you know what? Wait, I'm stopping myself because Jim is laughing at me. I'm so excited because you still didn't answer who your well, favorite yeah, yeah, captain. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> get to that. Okay, so, okay, Jim, uh, just stop me. Jim, shut me up. You know what? Wait, can everyone know? I, I, I need. A, I need. A, I need to say something, and then I'm going to step back. And this is the reason why. Jim knows I have been so excited all day because the lower decks, I've been sitting on it like the woman from SNL who eats pillows because (laughs) I've been dying so hard to talk about lower decks. When it released today, he knows I was frenetic and crazy. So I'm going to shut up now. And Chris, I'm going to give it over to you. Answer Jim's question. I'll just be quiet. Sure. Uh, so as far as my favorite Star Trek captain and series, it actually is this. It's a, I can say it in both, both breaths. Cisco DS9. Um, I have, I mean, I love original series. I, I love all the Star Trek shows, and and TOS and TNG have like huge places in my heart. But mm-hmm. DS9 is for for me the most groundbreaking series in the franchise, and I don't and I I challenge any any new Star Trek show to do what DS9 did. Um, and I, and I think it's still possible and I, and I want to, I want to see more of what DS9 did in, in Star Trek storytelling. Why? Talk to me about that. What, 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 what um, did it do for you? 
Uh, for me, it, 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 it was the balance of showing the Federation perspective versus the non-Federation perspective. Um, we basically saw uh, the Federation trying to coexist with a culture that didn't has not benefited from their influence and almost sees them as something of a uh, of an intrusion almost. Uh, especially in the first few seasons where like, you know, like, you know, you know, you'd see like Kira and Cisco kind of like, you know, kind of have a clash of um, uh, philosophies and for, in terms of how to run things. And of course, you know, once, once the dominion war got kicked off, I mean, it just went straight serialization where, you know, not everything was wrapped up at the end of the episode. And there were, there were so many episodes that ended in shades of gray that, you know, you, you typically before then, Usually it was, you know, Star Trek is very much problem of the week. Um, everything got wrapped up. There were there were through lines that would like carry over into later episodes. Um, you know, there there were you know you know there were story threads we picked up like maybe like a few episodes later or a few seasons later. But DS Nine just kind of kept going. You know, um, and, and it was just kind of like this endless chain up until right until, until right when um, the uh, the final episode aired. And um, I I. I I like, but I like the balance that they came with trying to do one off, you know, done in one stories as well as the serialization, um, especially when the when the Dominion War thing kicked off because it it, it could it could be could it could have put a just completely uh, like overshadowed everything, mm-hmm. but they still. Have they still had moments where you could you could do episodes like the Magnificent Ferengi or or uh, or the Vic Fontaine episodes or um, or just you know it, anytime you want to just like you know hey we know that like the Dominion War is terrible and we it, it's an important thing that we need to get a handle on but we also realize that we're a TV show and we're here to entertain and eventually we just need to do something a little silly. And, and, you know, and just, you know, kind of break the tension. Um, I still, I still, I can't remember the name of the episode, but the one I always go back to was the episode where uh, Nog comes back after his, after his leg is amputated. Mm-hmm. And I've never seen just him dealing with that mm-hmm. or rather not dealing with that and coming to terms with his injury. That that's not something I see I've seen in, in Star Trek much. And, it really, it really kind of, it really kind of affected me, especially considering, you know, like we, we no longer have Aaron Eisenberg anymore. I mean, in, in a physical sense, but, um, he, uh, I, I will always, I, I love, I love the themes. I love the juxtaposition. I love the, uh, I love the gigantic supporting cast. Yeah. I mean, it wasn't just about the name, the names that were on the opening credits. I mean, you, you look at Garrick, you look at Ducat, you look at Kai Wynn, you look at uh, Eddington, um, all, all of these characters that meant as much to the story as, as Cisco and Kira and Odo. And mm-hmm. um, I, I, I think that, that, that was Star Trek writ large um, yeah. for, uh, for years to come. Well, I think I think too. What's amazing compared to the other series is Deep Space Nine. When you look at what Jackson Lansing and Colin Kelly are doing in the comics now, where they're bringing Cisco, the his, it ended the last episode of 
Deep Space Nine did not satisfy me. I want to know where the heck is Cisco and what's up with the Dominion. So we're seeing resolve now in the modern comic books and we're seeing resolve in Picard season three with the Dominion, which is really um, epic, I think, for Star Trek, don't you think? Oh, oh, absolutely. I actually met uh, I actually met Jack uh, at uh, um, I met Jackson Lansing at uh, in uh, Seattle for at, San, at uh, Emerald City Comic Con. I, oh, I mentioned nice. I worked I mentioned I worked on Star Trek Adventures and I because he was just telling he was telling the story of around a group of people about like this gigantic epic Star Trek RPG that he was running. Uh, this and this was pre the release of, T, uh, of STA, and mm-hmm. he was actually running two simultaneous um, groups in the same campaign, like one Federation crew and one Klingon crew, I think he said. And I'm just listening to the story. And and uh, I just happened to mention I worked on Star Trek Adventures. He says, hey, I like what you guys are doing. And he's like, so uh, um, I'm, I'm glad that you know, I'm, I'm I, I would like to have better, better, more conversation. I mean, this, I mean, he's writing Captain America now for Marvel. So, I mean, <laughs> and Guardians of the Galaxy. I mean, yeah. Uh, yes, yes. No book, no Marvel book could be better suited <laughs> for him, for his talents, I think. <laughs> Yeah, he's been he's fortunately graced us with his presence on this show, especially when it came to the IDW um, publishing the five year, the the Star Trek year five. Um, he came on. So we had a really good introduction with him. So that's cool. You guys, you're all kind of melding between Star Trek and, and the Marvel world, which is really fun. It's all connected. <laughs> yeah. So um, so, Chris, that 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 dog episode is uh, it's only a paper moon. And um it reminded me a little bit of Brothers, the next gen episode where Picard has to deal with the fallout from uh, you know being Lacutus for a while. Because oh, yeah. that's really cool that that Star Trek on TV on on I mean it was network television, right? Or syndicated television. It's really cool that they were willing to take a whole episode to do that kind of an episode, right? Instead of doing like, oh, we're gonna go to the planet of the week and uh go deal with the alien of the week or whatever. We're gonna actually focus on the characters and 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 actually show that there can be repercussions from what happened in the episodes before, which I think is super powerful storytelling. And that's why I love DS9 so much. That's my favorite series um, for the, that exact reason is that they had to deal with the stuff that they created week in and week out, right? They they were stuck around Bajor, right? They couldn't just go off warping away to the next planet or whatever, right? They had to deal with the problems that were there, kind of like, you know, for the most part, real life, right? Like you don't, you can't just escape your problems that you that you leave behind right and um i think uh, this is probably a topic for a different show michael so we can add this to the list our ongoing list of stuff but uh uh and not to be too much of a ds9 homer but you know i know i totally am i think ds9 is a really good model for for a role-playing game campaign for that very for those very reasons that you mentioned chris you got the the big supporting cast of recurring characters like, like I, I think of all the great campaigns I've run or been in, whether it's D&D or Star Trek or something else, it was always the supporting characters that the players were excited to see come back, right? You always wanted to see your favorite villains or allies or just like the quirky characters. It was always nice to see them come back and make an appearance because you're like, you just you hear the game master go into their, into their voice, right? And you're like, oh, this is going to be a fun episode. You know, such and such character is, is in the session tonight. And then... Um, and that's exactly how I felt when um, Wei Yun would show up or even Jeffrey Combs just playing another character, right? Or, or Brunt or, or whatever. It's like, oh, yeah, there's, this is going to be a, or this is going to be a cool Kai Wen episode or something. 
And I think, um, you know, game masters would really benefit from looking at that and saying, look, bring in those recurring characters, bring in those supporting characters. And also, you know, don't let your players get away with murder, right? Like if they do something heinous in an episode, make them stick around for a couple of sessions and see what, what the fallout is. You know, make them think about the, the consequences of their actions as opposed to just like, Oh, well, we got to go <laughs> off warp nine off to the next planet. So, uh, um, anyway, I digress, but that, I think that might be a good topic for a, for a future episode. Uh, just to talk about we'll probably wrap it in here somehow, because we, I know we're coming off of some episodes where we all actually talked about how to build amazing adversaries. Yeah. Um, and so we'll talk about that. I want to talk, Chris, again, I'm going to go into my Marvel fanboy for a little bit because my, my sure. dream originally was to write for Marvel, like everybody else. Well, I'm not going to speak for everyone, but like a lot of people. Um, and so talk to us, how did you get involved initially writing for Marvel? Uh, well, it's kind of an interesting story. Um, I was a uh, I was a frequenter of this uh, forum um, called the uh, the Marvel Chronology Project, which if you go there, it's on it's a chronologyproject.com. It's still up and being updated. It's basically an index of chronological appearance lists for every major Marvel character. I mean, it's yeah. I, I actually compiled the whole thing into a, an Excel sheet, and it was like 120,000 lines. Wow! Um, but uh, uh, several of the writers for this uh, series uh, that Marvel was doing called the Official Index of the Marvel Universe, uh, which which uh, was basically an issue by issue summary of of any of a cert of any um of a certain series they covered like three they they did three volumes of them uh the first one was amazing spider-man uncanny x-men and um uh iron man and the second one that was in production when i was when when this happened uh was work was covering um uh, avengers uh, captain america and thor um i uh a lot of the writers was, were also on that forum, and I would I would chat them up in a little bit. And uh, they, well, I, I I misspoke. the the uh, The first volume was still in production uh, when I was when I was on the forum, and it was the thing about the MC, MC, MCP is it's not it's usually about like five year five years or so out of date because you know they want to let stories you know reach their conclusion before they decide where they go on the list, and um, when uh so when it came time to uh work on the later later issues of the first volume they were using the mcp as a resource but they were getting to the later stuff that the mcp hadn't covered but people had done research you know there was there was stuff in the forum saying okay we we we, we corral guys this you know th this is these are all of wolverine's appearances these are all of cyclops's appearances we just they, they just hadn't been loaded in um and I um, and one of the writers uh, from the from the index came in and said, hey, I need some help figuring out these characters appearances for this run of X-Men books. And uh, I basically took the uh, the the um, I, I basically compiled all the research that had been made thus far. And I, you know, made some inquiries and, you know, just see where everybody, everybody, everybody's consensus was on this. I put the whole thing in an Excel sheet and then I basically did some trickery to basically, you know, kind of, you know, see, okay, so that goes there, that goes there, that goes there, that goes there. And I managed to like come up with like lists for like 10 characters 
Um, and I basically just gave it to this guy. And uh, that got me a special thanks credit in the uh, the next couple of issues for that book and a job offer shortly thereafter. Um, <laughs> the reason uh, I like Jeff asking, Moore, the reason I want, I, I, let me ask you a question. I'm going to tell you why I'm uh, people who are listening to this need to listen to this. But did you have an involvement also with the appendix to the handbook of the Marvel Universe online? To I think I saw your name there. Um, probably, well, I think I've, I've done some, some uh, stuff that's been, um, uh, I think I have done some stuff for that. It, it's honestly, I've been, I've done so much of this, this stuff, like, <laughs> it's kind of hard to keep track. Yeah. Um, but Je- Jeff Christensen, who is that's the who. guy yes. who runs, uh, runs, uh, the appendix is one of our writers. Uh, and yes. the guy, Jeff is a cool guy in and of himself. In and of himself. He's like, he's an, he's a veterinary surgeon for crying out loud. In, in addition to being a Marvel expert. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, which is, which is cool. Cause we got him and we've got Mike Fakara, who's our, who's, who's an engineer in his, in his day, in his daily life. So mm-hmm. we've got like, you know, whenever we need to like, you do like uh, quasi scientific explanations for things or like try to figure out how much stuff weighs or how much like a, like a character's strength level should be, you know, be like how much they can lift. Uh, we've got people with actual scientific backgrounds that could like, you know, apply that um the reason i asked that just you know chris the reason and people who are listening why i'm framing this question me and jim have talked about it before when you're passionate about something you write a lot about it you kind of just put stuff out there and then they approach you and and i just do that because jim was nice enough to notice me at some point and then you know give me the privilege to write and you were writing stuff and you got noticed and so i really like people to tune in on that story if you want to be a writer just put yourself out there right exactly yeah it's, it's the um, same yeah, no go ahead Chris. Go ahead. uh i was just gonna, i was just gonna say that uh um so uh so um well it was mainly just just agreeing there agreeing there with michael that uh it it, it it's so much of it is self-promotion especially if you want to get started um i i, I come back it used to be back in the day that it was possible, highly unlikely, but possible that to basically just send in artwork or send in stories to Marvel, to DC, to any major comic book publisher, and you might stand a chance of them responding to you, um, or uh, you know, or, or 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 you know, sending you some kind of critique. Uh, usually, you'd get a boilerplate rejection letter in the mail. Um, but, uh, lately Marvel's Marvel's thing. And I think DC's thing right now is basically saying, print your, put your own comics out there. We'll come find you. Um, I, I, that was, I, I, I had a meeting with Bill Jemis in 2003. He was the editor in chief of Marvel at that time. Yeah, and that's yeah. exactly what he told me. And I walked out depressed, but then it put me to work because I was like, let me do something then. Let me put something out there. And I did, and I published it. And, and that, that what you're saying is true. People need to know, just get stuff out there. Yeah. And honestly, if you're putting your own stuff out there, you're probably going to, you might even do better than if you did with working for one of the big companies. I mean, look, look at, look at the walking dead. 
I mean, that that was like an that was like an indie book that was just published by Image. Next, you know, and it, it had, I mean, apart from it being published by the like the third largest comic book publisher in the country, it was basically a one man band. You know, I mean, apart from you know, I mean, you know, Robert Kirkman was the writer, uh, Tony Moore and Charlie Adler did the art, but it was basically the same team putting out just the a, a comic book of the zombie movie that never ends, and it became this media juggernaut. I mean, you know, the, the TV show is going to end after what, 15 seasons. We got two more shows coming out later. I mean, I mean, you, you may, I mean, you may come up with the next walking dead or the next last of us or, or, um, heck, I, mean, I don't know how many like, Im- like image comics have been made into like TV or movies, mm-hmm. uh, like deadly class and, and so many others. Um, yeah, well, Comic Con now. When you when you go to any con now, you have people shopping for the next TV show or Netflix series. I remember I, yeah. I was privileged to meet the writers and artists for Whiteout, and then all of a sudden, three years later, I'm like, oh my god, they're on Netflix, you know? Which I was just like, I was like, I have their signed book, and I just thought that was so cool to be in that experience. Oh, yeah, yeah I, uh, I I love I love I. I miss going to cons so much. Um, I, I actually, um, I haven't been to a convention since Gen Con 2019. Um, I was, I was, I was actually planning to go to Gen Con uh, the next year because I mean, as much, as fun as it was, and I got to meet Jim that year, it actually was, it actually went really, really wrong on a couple of, a couple of occasions. Um, my then uh, wife and I had gotten to Indianapolis and realized we'd left our badges at home. Oh, wow. And we had to drive back to drive back to Springfield, Missouri. And basically spent 24 hours on the road there and back. Mm-hmm. And then the next day, while uh, we were waiting for food in the food court park, um, I pass out from <laughs> and end up going to the emergency room. <laughs> oh, no. So we decided we, we we decided we wanted to do it again as a do over, but then uh, yeah. then uh, certain things happened, and now I'm I'm sitting sitting on some store credit right now. Uh, wow! So how did you and Jim meet then, Jim? Chris, how did this happen? Where you end up working for Star Trek Adventures then? Uh, well, it actually predates my 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 meeting Jim. Actually, uh, I had um, I had seen. I'd seen a scene. I can't remember where I saw the article, but I'd heard that Modiphius had gotten the license to do a Star Trek RPG, which has been, you know, some, you know, something I've, I've, I've actually like, I don't know how many like RPG systems I could, I've converted to Star Trek in my life. Just, just as, just as like technical exercises, I've converted Marvel superheroes, uh, Cortex, D20, Weston, Star Wars, all of that. I've, I've tried to just basically, okay, Okay, so this is how a galaxy class would be. So, uh, um, uh, but uh, I saw the I saw an article and I just and they said we're looking for writers and I was like, well, that's that's okay. So I decided to say I sent out an email. Um, I got an email from Chris Birch saying, you know, hey, we'd we'd love to have you, sure. And then uh, about a, m- a month or two later, I got an email from Sam Webb and he uh, and the, and she put me on the. Uh, um, on the operations division book. Um, and, uh, that, and then it just, it just kind of, and then I think a couple years later, I, I ran into Jim at Gen Con. Next thing I know, uh, we're, we're, I'm working on some more stuff. You know, we got to work on, I get to do some, 
uh, NPC write-ups for the Klingon core book. Um, I, you know, and then I got to do the sleeping beast, which I, I, you know, I'm, I'm particularly part proud about the sleeping beast. Cause that's like the first thing I've ever like written solo, uh, in a very long time. Most, most of the stuff that I've written, like for all the stuff I've written for Marvel has been a team team exercise. And, and honestly, I am thankful for that because the handbook crew are a great bunch of guys. And I love, I, I, I think, I think whatever deities are staring down, that I, I get to work with such great teams on both the franchises I write for. Mm-hmm. Um, so but, awesome. Uh, Jim, you're, and, and Jim, uh, again, I, I'm going to fanboy because anyone who writes for Marvel is like a dream for me. So, so when you had the opportunity to continue using Chris, um, you've used him since you've been project manager on the Klingon core rulebook and lower decks, right? Yeah. Well, uh, also the, um, um the, of course the 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 adventure for the Klingon toolkit um mm-hmm. and I think we've got a couple other projects coming up that you were involved in that we haven't announced yet um right plus I I, th- I think I may have seen some pitches from you for brief, mission briefs or standalones I'm not sure um, I can't remember um, so much stuff well, but, well I also I also worked on the discovery book yes yeah, so the discovery book yeah yeah that's right. Do, do you, I'm going to ask too, as a, as a, from a person who's played different RPGs, what do you find different about Star Trek adventures in comparison to other RPGs? You know, if you were to highlight the differences to someone coming into the game. Uh, for, for me, uh, I've, I've always kind of pointed to the fact that it's, it's a cooperative game first and foremost. Mm-hmm. Um, most RPGs, and I don't mean this as a, a, a knock against any of them. I, I, I love, there's, there's so many other like systems and, uh, and, and game settings that I, I've been happy to be part of. Um, but one thing I like about Star Trek is Star Trek adventures is that it is, it is a teamwork based uh, and ad- adventure. You're there to basically get together and solve a problem, and most importantly, work together to solve that problem. Well, I mean, the fact that the fact that like the momentum pool is a group mechanic that I think that says so much about like you know, um, how, you know, because there there have been I mean, we're, we're like the fourth or uh, RSTA is like the fourth or fifth uh, official Star Trek game, and I think this is the first, not a knock again, not a knock against those previous systems, but I think this is like the first time that I've actually seen like, you know, the, you know, the emphasis on we're here to solve a problem and we're here to do it together. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's always, I think that's always been the hallmark of the, of the, of the franchise of the franchise's fiction is that we come to a place there's a problem. What can we do to solve it? And it's not, it's not about this player is going to basically, you know, he's going to try to do it better than everybody else. Or this is the best, this is, it is, it's not a reward based thing either. It's, it's about doing the right thing for the right reasons. Um, and I think that there's, I think there's something for want of a cliche term, beautiful about that. Um, that we, you know, that's one of the reasons I like cooperative, uh, uh, board games as well, you know, like, like, like pandemic or the forbidden games, 
Um, I, I, I like the idea that we're getting the route, we're getting around the table to, to not necessarily compete or, you know, to win, but we're here to work in tandem and raise each other up towards this goal. And I love, I love the fact that, that STA, um, not only mechanicizes a lot of that, but that it that it heavily encourages it. So I'm going to ask I'm going to ask Jim and you a philosophical question now because of what you just said in the nature of the collaborative game. Why do you think that's more timely now than ever? Because I do notice a shift in. We, we've had we've we've had entire episodes about playing games where violence is in the focus and it's more of a collaborative focus. We've had some shows about that. So so I'm curious to hear both Chris, you and Jim, your opinion as to why you think collaborative touches a nerve nowadays more than ever. Um, I, I honestly think that uh, I think now more than ever, we're, we're, there are people who are coming to terms with the fact that we as a people uh, need to look at what unites us rather than what divides us. Um, and I think by exploring that need in our entertainment in our recreation is the first step to you know basically employing those principles in our daily lives um and as you know as much you know we i think that as far as i think it's very important that star trek uh that star trek's principles of coexistence of better of bettering bettering the whole as well as as well as the individual um, I think that that's a very important concept that we, that we as a people should hold dear. And I think the fact that we, you know, our, our media and our forms of recreation are starting, starting to, um, uh, and here's where I lose my, lose my vocabulary. Embody, <laughs> embody. <laughs> embody, embody that. Yes. Thank you very much. Um, the the fact that uh, that our our media and our recreation is starting to embody that uh, is is very very important and I think is something we 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 desperately need and are and should be glad to have. Yeah, Jim. Yeah, I I I, I absolutely agree. I think um, there is, uh, especially in the last I don't know, <laughs> ten years or so. There's been so much cynicism and divisiveness in the, not just the country, but in the world, um, that, uh, for a long time, I, you know, when I first got involved with Star Trek adventures, I, in the back of my mind, I was like, is, is Star Trek even still relevant, right? In this uh, cynical 21st century, like, do we even care about Star Trek? Is it kind of like that, that nice hokey wish that we had back in the day where, where we could all work together as a, as a, as a, as a planet and, and strive for something better where we're all, lifelong learners and uh, working together to better each other and ourselves and stuff is like, is that even possible anymore? And uh, it's been a challenge to, to like see that, but like, I do see it. And especially I see it in the younger generation um, more than anything else. I think, uh, I mean, certainly the, you know, you know, there's, there are, there are pockets of boomers and, uh, and Gen X and myself and, and everybody else that uh, um, certainly want to be striving towards something better than what we have. Right. And I think I see that in a lot of media, like like Chris was saying, 
And I mean, that's just the that's just true to the Star Trek ideal, right? Uh, of working together, like every episode, they're working together as a team. And if they don't work together as a team, something goes wrong. And sometimes something goes fatally wrong, and uh, and then they have to deal with it. But um, I, I just love the fact that Nathan um, built all those mechanics right into the system to really encourage teamwork and partnership and cooperation, not just the the, the momentum tool, uh, you know, the pool the, uh, that's available, but like a lot of the talents and role abilities play off of each other, right? So it's not just, oh, I'm a cool character doing my cool stuff and you're a cool character doing your stuff and we're all kind of in the same combat together or in this the same situation together and we're making it work, but where there's actually synergies built into the characters and everybody can be awesome in their own way and I don't know that there's necessarily like the, the the traditional niche protection in Star Trek Adventures that you see in other games, uh, like you know where you got your rogue, you got your warrior, and you got your thing. You know, there's there's a lot more flexibility I think in Star Trek Adventures um, that that really lends itself to uh, different, really different groups of characters still being able to be successful together. And I think you know over the last seven years, I'm really excited that you all as writers have really taken on the challenge that I've thrown at you to like expand the game, right? And add more options so that it's not just Starfleet, right? It's Starfleet and it's Klingons and it's civilians and it's Ferengi. And you can play all kinds of different characters. Now, like any character from the franchise, you can play in the game now. And uh, that's, I mean, that's diversity at its, at its heart, right? That's, that's, and that's Star Trek, right? Like anybody from any walk of life in the federa- in, in, in the Star Trek, you know, IP, you can create a character like them or something completely original and still find, have something, still find something to do and still feel welcome at the table. And um, that's something I don't see a lot in, in other games. Like sometimes it's implicit, but, but I don't, like, I feel like Nathan baked it right into the game. And, uh, and that's just a testament to what Star Trek is right in, in, in the ideal sense, in the ideal sense. Well, I, I think too, and I'm curious both, again, both of your opinion on this, but Jim, I think, to what you just said, I find myself when I'm writing now for Star Trek Adventures to try to see if I can write an entire module or mission brief with no violence at all. Like if it goes there, let it go there. But can I be creative enough to push myself to create a provocative story that draws people in on some sort of scientific or, or emotional or moral conundrum? And I, I, I love that personal challenge. Like what is entertainment? Like, why do we fall back? I, I personally try not to, I don't fall back on sex or violence, you know, or vulgarity, you know, I, we've talked about that before. It's like, and Star Trek Adventures is pushing me to be a better writer. And what, what gets people hooked? What do you, both think about that when you're coming up with your writing scenarios because you both write a lot too um well getting back you know the funny thing it's funny you mentioned that because like with uh because i actually kind of baked that into the sleeping beast uh the klingon adventure i wrote in because i actually wrote it in in a way that you could like tackle it from two different directions um quick quick uh, quick summary basically uh um, a an asteroid's about to basically destroy a, a Klingon agricultural planet. Uh, the you you are the second Klingon crew to try to stop this thing because the first one vanished. Um, and you find out that there's more to this asteroid than just being a gigantic rock about to hit a hit of an important planet. And I wanted to basically because you're playing Klingons, so obviously you know there's there's the there there's the possibility there's the possibility and even in the likelihood that you're just going to try to blow this thing up and go home and you know and 
drink drink your victory but um <laughs> but uh, but i also wanted to present a scientific um uh solution so i kind of made it kind of a choose your own adventure style of adventure Mm -hmm. um to where you know if you if you know even if you were playing as a klingon maybe you're you're a klingon scientist or you're a klingon doctor or you know or a klingon engineer and maybe you want to try and think this problem out instead of punching it and um i think getting back to your original question um I, I I think that's that's the always the always the uh, the goal for me in it is about you know because I've done so far I've done I think about uh, a, a bunch of mission briefs um, for um, for very for various uh, projects released and otherwise and um, that's always the thing is like do I do I want to I I I, I tend to fall back on trying to trying to make it a, like solving a mystery. Um, uh, I have, I've, I've written, I've written a number of mission briefs that almost read like a police procedural, um, because I'm, I'm I was, I, I used to be a huge cop show nerd, you know, back when the days of, uh, homicide life on the street and NYPD blue. Um, uh, but I, uh, I wanted, I always want to kind of come, I like to come at it as, um, Yes, this is bad. This this could could get worse. How do we how do we how do we figure this out? Because we can't just like set our phasers to setting sixteen and solve this problem. It's got it's got to it's got to be thought out. And I think that's part and parcel. You know what, what the the engine of a good Star Trek story is figuring out the solution and and figuring out that you know you're going to have to use your brain to figure this one out. Yeah. Um, and I, yeah, I, I think that, that from what I've seen, well, I'll, I'll let Jim comment and I'll talk about what I've noticed with new players who don't go into violent video games or violent board games, what they've been doing around the table. Jim, what, what about your intention when you're writing? Yeah. I mean, I, I, I agree completely with everything Chris has been saying. I think, I think Star Trek by and large, most Star Trek episodes um, are a mystery, right? They present a mystery. And then you go through the episode and you, and you try to solve it. You try to figure out what, what, what's caused it, who caused it, whatever. And by the end of it, hopefully you get a satisfying conclusion or with more recent uh, Star Trek series, they, it's just a continuing story over the course of the season. Uh, and then hopefully you get the answer by the end of it, but that's just an extended form of storytelling, right? Uh, but like the, in the traditional mode where it was episodic, like the original series, Next Gen especially, um, most of those episodes are mysteries, right? Something, something There's a question that comes up in the teaser or in the first act. And then the rest of the episode is them trying to figure out, okay, what's the what's the answer? What's the solution? And most of the time, combat is incidental. Like like a fight sometimes may happen, but it's not always the only way to solve a problem. And that's just life, right? Like it, there's always other ways to solve things than just beating somebody up or shooting somebody or whatever, right? Like like sometimes that's the easy way, right? Or, or the easy way, um, but ultimately it's really not. But uh, um, I know. So as a writer, like I really try to get creative and try to like give players and game masters a lot of options. Like I, I really completely bought into the whole toolkit idea of uh, when I'm writing an adventure or I'm working on a on a book with all you guys um, and, and ladies and everybody else. Um, 
I don't want to like especially with like uh, Shackleton, right? I didn't want to just put together a, a campaign and say, "Here's what happens: A, B, C, D, E, all the way to Z." You do that, you're done. And uh, I, I just because I, I didn't like those kind of campaigns when I was growing up and doing doing uh, other games and stuff. I wanted to feel like I had more agency as a game master and as a player. And I was like, you know what? I'd really rather just have the, the company throw me a whole bunch of tools, a whole bunch of non-player characters, a whole bunch of plot hooks, seeds, ideas, ships, stuff, and let me figure out with my group how we want to put it all together. And, you know, sometimes we may come up with a similar story to the one that you ran or the one that you ran, but maybe they're completely different. Like, you know, we, we take the same module for Star Trek and we could go three completely different directions with it based on not just our crews and our personalities, but just like how it all plays out in any given night with dice rolls. And, you know, sometimes your players are hot, sometimes they're cold, sometimes the dice hate you, sometimes the dice love you, right? And that all shapes the narrative that you end up making. So I try to keep all of that in mind. And it's, you know, it's a tricky, it's a balancing act, right? Because you want to you want to be really creative, but at the same time, sometimes you just got to get it done on deadline, right? So you can't get too creative sometimes. Um, but I remember um, working on the um, the mini campaign for the tricorder set. Um, I really intentionally challenged myself to, to make combat be the absolute last option to solve the problem. And um, certainly there, I put in, I mean, it was, it was almost a sidebar to say, oh, you know, if your group needs more action, you know, add this and this and this and like keep them, keep the, keep the Klingons alive, keep the Orions alive and keep them around and, and, and bring them in when appropriate, but don't feel like you have to, right? Like if, if your group wants that kind of thing, sure, there's an option here to bring them in, but it, it wasn't me mandating to them at this point in the story, they must have an encounter with the Orions or they must have this random encounter with Klingons or whatever. It's like, it, these are just options to throw in salt, you know, season to taste, whatever. And um, I really have been trying to encourage all the writers to do that too on Star Trek. I mean, you guys already do it naturally. And uh, and Alan, Aaron, and a bunch of the other regulars that we have. But like, I, I take pitches all the time from, from writers, new writers and experienced writers, because that's just how I think we need to run the line. Like we, diversity is key to me. And uh, I want more, I want even more diverse voices on the line. Right. And so I'll, I'll take pitches from anybody, but a lot of times, especially from newer writers, um, I will read pitches and like, usually their, their default option to solve the problem is to get into a fight. Right. And it's like, yeah, yeah okay. So that's fine. But I want to push you. I want to, you know, my, cause it's my job as an editor. I feel like, like I want to push writers to be, to stretch themselves right not necessarily to be better but just to stretch themselves and it's think outside the box a little bit right so i want to I, I really try to encourage them and like and sometimes i give them feedback and i never hear back from them again and that just happens right you know whether there's a writer ego in the way or they just don't know how to to push through or whatever but you know sometimes i get a, i'll get a pitch back and be like oh yeah this is really different and this is great you know i'm, I'm willing to commission this now because you've got you've given me something different and you know me trying to think ahead to like the game masters and players that are out there we're going to get this product and be like, oh, I can do something with this. That's not just, uh, we tried to solve the mystery and we couldn't solve the mystery. So now we're just going to fight the Romulans. Yeah. And, and, and that's why I, I want, I, yeah. And I want to talk, you know, constantly on the show, Chris too. I don't know if you've seen some of the episodes with me and Jim, but well, you know, with the operations division supplement, you've worked on the discovery campaign guide. Um, you've worked on the Klingon core rule book and, and we do riff episodes where like, let's create adventures off of one paragraph. So I don't know exactly what paragraph you wrote in any of these, but we always end up picking these very nonviolent paragraphs and come up with these epic episodes because mm -hmm. it's about the scientific explanation or the diplomatic um, 
the thing I, I, I'll say, I, again, I don't know exactly what you did in the discovery book, but I told Jim that I actually wasn't a big fan of discovery until the discovery supplement came out. <laughs> I was like, wait, I got to go back and watch this. I missed a lot. And yeah. To me, that was the power of of the work you've done, work other collaborators have done to show that Star Trek is so much more than pew pew, but it's really, um, and, and that goes back to my players. I'll talk about the players who haven't even watched Star Trek, who are not into violent gaming, who sat around and started playing with me, Star Trek Adventures post-pandemic at the table. They sit there and they talk for 20, 30 minutes without me even doing anything because they're into the moral quandary and into the perplexity and conundrums and labyrinths that we've created through this game. So, so, you know, again, that, that is to me, Star Trek adventures. I know you want to say something. You were going to say something. I interrupted you. Good. No, 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 no. I, I, I was, I'm just, I'm just nodding along at this point. <laughs> um, but, um, but yeah, uh, yeah. Um, so so basically, you just take a, take a paragraph from like one of the one or more of the books, and you build up, build up. So yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. We'll do a rip because because the way Jim was talking about how it's designed now is you're not designing for pew, pew or action or get to the fight, but we're designing conundrums for people to solve. Which to me is going back to my original question is more reflective of the societal problems that we're dealing with nowadays. People are finally getting to the point where violence only breeds death. That's all it's going to do is death. Yeah. It's not the solution to the problem. And so Star Trek Adventures is more leaning toward that kind of mindset. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, so what, so, uh, so, uh, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> this is what editing is for. Don't worry. Our guy, Jeff, will edit this perfectly. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. yeah. um, okay. So, uh, so, uh, just, so uh, let me simplify. Let me simplify a question for you. Again, nowadays, again, I, I think the point we're trying to and ask you about why does Star Trek really ring the chord for you as to where gaming should go, or why the stories are so relevant now more than ever? Um, I think it. I think it boils. To, I mean, Jim said it earlier. I mean, the last ten years, we, you know, I mean, I've I've, I've actually been kind of note because I. Very rare. I mean, I don't watch a lot, a lot of, a lot of television these days. Um, I mean, largely because of the, because of the just a gigantic amount of like choices that there are. But I've been noticing that a lot of the shows, um, and I, I, this is not a denouncement of any anybody who's ever who's been on those shows or who's made them. I, I, I hold no malice. But a lot of those shows. The best, the best ones, the ones that are considered the best ones, are the ones of horrible people being horrible. <laughs> um, and this goes back to like The Sopranos, Breaking Bad, mm-hmm. uh, Boardwalk Empire, um, and I'm, I'm not, I'm not going strictly after HBO on this, but uh, you know, it, but and, you know, the the Dahmer docu docu series, and um, I just, I just think that it's important that we we show humanity is at its best as much as we show it as, as its worst. Um, and I, and I almost feel like we're finding more, the, 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 the needle is going the direction it, it, it going too far in one direction. And we kind of like need to balance the scales a little bit. Um, but uh, I, I think that um 
like like Jim was saying, you know, the last decade or so, um, we've become we can become more cynical in just our public discourse, um, not just just not just in media, not just in gaming, just overall. And the fact that if if there's a place we can go to to where we can say, let's be better. Let's be good people. Let's let's show each other that we can cooperate, we can coexist, we can you we can you can strive to be a better version of ourselves. And I think that 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 as far as Trek is concerned, I mean that's been the um that's been the engine of Star Trek is can't you know let's let's solve the problem but let's not forget who we are as people in in over the course of this endeavor right um, it's totally it's totally in that, that again a game like nothing else you know that that i've seen and and now even with so much more trek out there i mean we have five series live right now oh, five series yeah. going on right now and and not even to mention the countless comic books and novels and audibles oh, coming out which yeah. i can't keep up with anymore <laughs> there's so much diversity you know out there which which leads me actually to a question i know i happen to know from interviewing you before that one of your favorite novel series was the titan novels oh so talk yes. to me how it feels right now to see that on screen what, what are you thinking well well um well it's def- it's obviously it's a different take on the on on the titan and the than the books did because obviously the 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 lit verse is sadly gone thanks thank you star trek mm-hmm. coda uh um but i i uh i loved what they did uh with with the titan uh, in the novels in as much as they tried to make it a truly, uh, um, culturally diverse crew. Uh, it was, you know, there were only 15% of the crew were human. Not all of them were humanoid. Not all of them were air breathers. Um, you know, you, you not all of them were fully, were fully suited to like one G gravity. Um, and, I, I, you know, I mean, obviously with, um, you could probably do that on Prodigy or Lower Decks now, but I mean, um, but obviously given, you know, like effects and makeup budgets, it's kind of hard, it's kind of difficult to do that on a weekly television show, but, you know, seeing one interpretation of that, um, uh, is, uh, was, was actually kind of, kind of a, uh, a nice change. And, and I, I want, and to be honest, I do like the interpretation of the Titan as we've seen on lower decks and on Picard. I mean, obviously we're talking, we're kind of talking about two different ships, but I mean, mm-hmm. at, the, at, the, at the same time, you know, you know, I, I, the, when the Titan showed up, spoilers on the, on the season one finale of lower decks, I, my grin probably like stretched to like twice the width of my face. I, <laughs> I, I was just like, oh my. And then I heard Jonathan Frakes' voice and Marianne Sirtis' voice. And I was just like, oh my God, I'm home. <laughs> That's so awesome. We, 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 everyone's everyone's dreaming because all this RPG comics novels are starting to bleed into into yeah. the, the cinematic universe and the Mar- or not the not the, oh, sorry that that episodic universe. Um, it's it's. I knew I I wanted to ask you that question about the Titan. Oh yeah, yeah. Cool. I, I'm 
I'm I'm happy to I'm happy to see her. I'm happy to see her in real life. And and honestly, I love the design of the A. Um, I, mm-hmm. I, I I I miss I kind of miss. I mean, I I love the Luna class. I mean, if if I was to, if I was to you know if I was to run a game, I would heavily push the Luna class as as a as a hero ship. Yeah. But um, it, it it if but. I do love. I, I like the the kind of the the constitution style uh, configuration of you know like saucer section engineering that with two upswept nacelles. That's always going to be a classic for me. Yeah, it's a good look. And, and you even did some stuff on Geek and Sundry for you did some art, right? You you do art. Yes. yes. So uh, when the group that uh, is currently known as the Streampunks started up Shield Tomorrow. I actually started watching Shield of Tomorrow because uh, I had just gotten the gig to work on work on Star Trek Adventures like a couple of weeks mm-hmm. after before uh, Shield of Tomorrow um, premiered, and uh, I was I was gearing up I was gearing up for because I because I hadn't gotten my materials yet. Um, I got I, I think Sam sent me a like a kind of like a starter set primer of the rules. Um, the core book hadn't even come out yet. Um, but then, uh, shield tomorrow, uh, uh, started up and I was like, well, they're going to play this game. And so I might as well watch it to kind of get, get a feel for how the rules go. Cause I'd never heard of Twitch before. Uh, I, I'd never heard of geek and sundry before. I mean, I heard them in passing cause you know, I'm, I'm usually playing a Felicia day and what, and Will Wheaton and whatnot. Um, but uh, I started. I started watching, and it kind of became my weekly thing because I, I genuine. I mean, genuine. I know a lot, I love a people. A lot of people love Critical Role, uh, but I had that same love for Shield Tomorrow. I mean, it was like it almost re-sparked my love of Star Trek. Almost. I mean, I was already a hardcore fan, but Shield Tomorrow was like, oh my god, I missed having Star Trek on a. I, I didn't realize how much I missed having Star Trek on a weekly basis until Shield yeah. Tomorrow. Uh, but I, uh, I remember cause I, cause I do, I, I draw a little bit too. Um, and I, uh, I just did some, I did some fan art and the, the players, uh, uh, commented on my, on, on the piece. Cause I posted up on Twitter. I think it's like my, I think it's like my second highest engaged, uh, wow. Twitter post that I've made. <laughs> um, That's cool. So, so I, and I have to ask, so Jim, you know, I, 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 the more we do the show, this is like our 70 something episode here. Do you keep finding that Star Trek Avengers kind of is becoming this weird central nexus of all these different creative types for Star Trek? Uh, yeah, I mean, I think, I think the, the more, the more we do and the more I manage to get people to convince people to get involved in the game, whether it's like Thomas Maroney over at Star Trek online, the more, the more he, offers to help us out with artwork and stuff and get him involved. And then his role at Dex of People, he reaches out and I get more of them involved. And then uh, like we got Jackson Lansing and we got Jody and we got some other people involved. And then we got Shield, uh, what, Starship Tempest the other week. We got them on the show. We talked to them. It's like, as we continue to do the game and as we continue to release more stuff and we get more people in working on the game on, on all the different you know categories, whether it's writing or art or, um, or layout or whatever. Um, like it's really it's really cool, and uh, I'll admit, Michael, I just drew a blank on what your question was. <laughs> I no, just, no, it was, it, I was I, riffing, I, and now, I'm, now I just drew a blank. So I no, Central it. Nexus. Talking about Star Trek Adventures, yeah, yeah. 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 yeah so, um, so you know, and I, br- I brought my own. I mean, when I when I first got involved in the game in 2016, 
um, when it was still in playtest, right? Even even pre playtest, um, you know, I was a I was a fiction writer primarily, and I had had a few Star Trek, you know, small Star Trek credits to my name, uh, the short stories and the uh, and the novella in one of the anthologies. Uh, but by virtue of having had that experience, I had a rolodex of Star Trek writers who are friends and who I knew, and I had other connections. And when I when I talked to Chris and said, "Hey, look, I I want to write for the game." And oh, by the way, I happen to know Scott Pearson, who is the copy editor for Simon and Schuster. He could give us a lift on Canon because he's already familiar with all the people that that approve all this stuff. And he's like, well, yeah, that's a no brainer. And oh, by the way, I know Dayton Ward, who's the New York Times bestselling author of Star Trek novels. You want him involved? Sure. Yeah, get him involved. And and so the more we do that collectively, and like I see you guys doing it too, because like you guys reach out to people on Twitter and, and on social media, and you're having your own independent, independent conversations, which is, you know, just life. Um, but like the more people in the Star Trek universe that we're able to draw in, it's it, like you said it earlier, Michael, it's really starting to blur the line between the novels and the game and Star Trek online and the comic books and even canon to some extent, where like when uh, when Thomas was able to give us the artwork for six of the Star Trek online ships to use in Utopia Planitia, and and we didn't find out until we were almost ready to go to print that all those ships that he provided us were actually going to be canonized in Picard season two and the end of the season. And I was like, holy, holy crap. This is like instant, um, you know, instant credibility for Star Trek Adventures because not only do we have some cool Star Trek, Star Trek online ships in the game, but now that they're actually on screen now. Right. So that, that was a connection that we didn't have before that just kind of fell into our lap because we had that great connection with Thomas and uh, I, I, I am hungry to do more stuff like that. Like, I really want to get Jody and Jack Jackson involved in the game again so we can do more stuff with IDW because they're doing some great stuff over there. And it's just like, how do we make it work? How do we how do we fit it into the timeline and into the production schedule? And how do we make those connections so that we can do more stuff with the folks doing Star Trek timelines and the folks doing Star Trek online and the comic books and just all these other licensees that are out there doing cool Star Trek games. I would love to get connections with all of them it's just a matter of figuring out who's the right belly button to reach out to and touch. So that yeah. we can start having these conversations. Belly button. So, <laughs> so, Chris, so Chris, let me, I'm going to let you put it on the universe right now. What do you want to do in the future? You know, what, what are some of your aspirations to write for and do? Put it in the universe. You never know who's Whoa. listening. Well, well, the, the funny, I, I was actually, Funny, I was actually talking with one of the uh, co-workers at uh, my my nine to five about this because uh, you know usually um, the funny thing was is like I, I actually I work for uh, my my full time job is I I do medical billing and I work for I work for a, a local local health system here in, in where I live here in Missouri and uh, my uh, my 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 coworkers, they know what I do for a, for, for a, for a side job. And they absolutely love it. In fact, my, my, the CEO of the company is a massive Star Trek fan. So, I mean, <laughs> he loves hearing about the stuff I got coming out. Um, but he, he, we got to, we got to talk and, 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 you know, is, and the, uh, Star Trek and Marvel are two of the three fandoms that I hold like the, the most uh, most most uh, dear to me. The third one being Transformers, <laughs> hmm. 
I would love to do a Transformers project. Uh, and obviously, I mean, you know, and, you know Renegade, hello. Uh, <laughs> but uh, um, I'll send that over to Jackson Lansing. I know him and Colin but, Kelly uh, did the, did the launch for IDW. <laughs> nice. Um, so, but yeah, I, I, I would honestly, I would love to do more for more with Marvel. Um, I, I would honestly, like, I would like to write some stories. I mean, I mostly do reference books for Marvel. Um, I, I'm writing about what's happened rather than writing what's happened. Mm-hmm. Um, I, so, I mean, but I mean, there's, there's tons of, I mean, Mar- the, the Marvel universe is huge. There's tons of characters I'd love, I'd love to write a story about. And that's one of the things I absolutely love about like getting to work on Star Trek adventures is this is you know i've done reference material i've done lore breakdowns i've done character bios but star trek adventures has allowed me to write stories uh through either the event that because i've written two adventures i've written over a dozen mission briefs um i uh it, it allows me to like stretch those muscles in like you know basically like story structure and getting to write dialogue i mean when i worked on um when i worked on the operations division book i wrote i wrote dialogue for wharf Jim Kirk, Miles O'Brien. I mean, I I never would. I mean, and when we're doing when we're doing the for stuff with Marvel, we were, we're basically writing encyclopedia uh, articles, which we're basically writing it in, in you know. And I not not knocking what I do for Marvel, but it's very it's very uh, encyclopedic writing. Uh, it's almost fictional nonfiction. Um, so I'm 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 thankful that you know with 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 you guys, I get to you know kind of stretch my my. Uh, narrative muscles a little bit more and my dialogue muscles a little bit more mm-hmm. um so and That's, you know i would love to i would i would love to do i anything anything that gets me writing more stories i'm i'm down for regardless of what the franchise is so you put in the universe so now now someone might hear it and bam you never know I, if jim taught me anything is just put it out there and you never know what'll catch yeah. Well, well you know, that, that, that actually, uh, that, that ties back to something you guys, you were both talking about earlier and I was just, I was just enjoying listening to you. So I didn't, I didn't chip in, but, um, where you were talking about how it, instead of necessarily going to look for a comic book company to go, to go work for, just start developing your own stuff because you're passionate about it and you love it. I mean, that's mm-hmm. it right there. If you love to write and you love to write story, then, then do it. Like this is the best time ever to be a independent writer and a self-publishing writer and, and, and fiction, because there's so many venues to get your fiction out there, whether it's like Wattpad or, um, or you actually just publish it on, on uh, ebook and go to Kindle or go to Amazon or go to what are all the other uh, smash words, all the different services that are out there. It is so easy now to be a writer, to get your stuff in front of people who will read it, as opposed to letting it just sit on some editor's desk or, or have to go through a profit and loss statement at a big conglomerate or whatever. That they're going to kill it anyway because <laughs> that's just the way that it's so stupid but uh um like if you love to write and you love to tell stories and you want people to read them then there is very little there's very a very low bar at this point to do it and if you do good stuff and you're passionate about it someone's going to notice it and they're going to find you and they're going to reach out to you and they're going to say okay we saw this stuff we love it we want you to, i want to hire you to do stuff like i do got some with star trek i know other people have done it and uh that's just like your passion will come through no matter what you're doing and just get yourself out there and don't, you know, don't worry about the marketing and all that stuff. Just, you know, be passionate and let your stuff work. Let, let yourself speak for itself. 
Um, anyway, so that was a bit of a dig- digression. Um, <laughs> I no, not- I, I think it's relevant. I, I, I don't think, you always say you're digressing, and I'm always like, that's so yeah, relevant. Because I think people, one of the things for this podcast and is about celebrating the fans. And I don't care who it is. Fans, if you're standing in line at Comic-Con or any con, they're coming up with all these amazing ideas. And there's ideas and then there's execution, right? Putting in writing in a blog or some form. And so I really want to encourage people because Chris, you know, again, since I interviewed you back in 2019, I was just super impressed because your passion for all the genres you like are so evident. And I'm always trying, I'm the kind of person where I'm always trying to drive people like, just get it done, write it down. You never know what it'll take. And so I love that you embody that you know, portion of a writer and artist. Absolutely. Absolutely. And uh, so, so Chris, I had, I, I feel, I get, I get a feel like we're starting to kind of wind, wind up here, but I, I did have one more question for you. It's related to the question that Michael asked you and sure. uh, it will sound totally self-serving because it totally is. <laughs> uh, but um, if, uh, if there was a, especially because you just mentioned that you would love to write story and you really you would be really excited to work on something that gives you an opportunity to work on like more story and stuff. Like just thinking about Star Trek adventures as a, as a, as a game line and, and knowing your passion for Star Trek, like if there was one product that you wanted to work on for Star Trek adventures that we haven't done yet, that is like in your brain, that would be just like drive you crazy. Like if I were to email you one day and say, Hey Chris, we're going to work on X and it would just like <laughs> literally blow your mind and you would be super excited to work on it. What is that dream project for Star Trek that you would want that you would want to work on? Who? Wow. Um, I would. I. I've actually had some thoughts about this. Mm-hmm. Um. Uh. One of the things that one of the things that uh, I noticed when I was reading when I was reading through the I, I can't remember if it was the player's guide or the GM's guide. Um, but doing this thing about like, like cinematic, um, store, uh, cinematic adventures. Mm-hmm. Um, I have, I, I, I kind of want to wonder if we, if there would be a way to do a, um, a series of a multi-generational epic campaign, mm-hmm. something that like started in the enterprise era and then continued to TOS and then to TNG and then Picard and then even into like the 32nd century in, in, you know, current discovery, something, you know, where you basically like you, you take your characters and you run through this adventure and then you create new characters or, you know, or, you know, basically you can either like, you know, do, you know, analogs and then, or however you want to do it. And, you know, give, give, give your players a chance to like explore different uh, character archetypes in the same campaign you know mm-hmm. so you're basically you know okay you're right now you're united earth starfleet when this story begins and mm-hmm. then the seeds go into the original series and now you're now you're you're you know you're um a 23rd century federation starfleet crew mm-hmm. and then you know 24th century and then 25th and then 32nd and basically just make this you know I, and i i i immediately realize that somebody has done this um there was a there the, there was a video game called that i i'm ashamed to admit that i have and i completely forgot about uh called uh, star trek legacy <laughs> um that kind of does that because it basically takes you through a multi-generational adventure but it's mainly about ship combat mm-hmm. um it basically gives you the opportunity to you know basically do like you know kind of 
kind of broadside ship battles with like, every generation of, of, but like, tr- you know, making it more character focused rather than, you know, than just, you know, the, you know, throwing two ships at, you know, at each other and see which comes out, comes out, not, you know, blasted, mm-hmm. blasted the bits. Yeah. So, uh, if, so would if players I, if be I required had... to players would be required to create crews for each different timeline and, and a, a linking story. Yeah, or I would I would probably offer like options. Um, you know, there there might even be a way to basically like um, I mean, we could even like uh, um, you know, because they we have like like a department. You know, we have uh, Starfleet has the Department of Temporal Investigations. Basically, you could make the characters like DTI uh, agents. Uh, based on based on based on a ship that has to basically like navigate through multiple. Um, these multiple time periods um they're basically chasing a mystery through the millennia basically um so i mean there's 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 i mean you could you could do like make a different crew for each adventure um or you could find or there could be a way maybe you 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 know the the crew from the first adventure somehow time travels to the next one and 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 it's a it's about them you know having to you know chase this through the decades um, because, you know, you know, it's, it's, you know, making it, making it kind of, and have to deal with the, uh, the political landscape and the cultural landscape of, you know, these different eras of star of the Star Trek universe and how that might affect how they have to tackle this problem. Sounds, sounds like DTI would be chasing them the entire time. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, I, I like it. I mean, it sounds a li- we we played with this a little bit with the Shackleton campaign, where we started it off in the original series and then we continued it into the next gen. But like like taking your idea, like it would be super easy to expand that concept out into something even bigger, where you're at the you know you're at the very beginning with uh, Cochran in the in watching the Phoenix go up. Right. And then you've got to bounce to the 32nd century. And where's the Federation? The Federation's toast. And now they're starting to rebuild. And then you bounce around to the temporal Cold War. You bounce into the next gen. There, there's all kinds of possibilities there. I, I love the uh, I love the high the high like the high level concept. Uh, I think the devil would be in the details, of course. Like, how do you make that work? And what does that look like? And uh, yeah. but I, I love that. I love the idea. So no, that's really cool, Chris. I, I appreciate you. Uh, you throwing that out there because uh, that's uh, that's much more ambitious than I was expecting you. <laughs> which is cool right i mean i love it and uh, i know that there are like like fans really enjoyed shackleton and i thought that would you know keep him happy for a while because it was, it was like a 320 what was it, 320 page behemoth of a book and uh like almost immediately because you know fans being fans they were like that came out and they're like okay what's next you know what's 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 next and it's like you there's no way you've run through that whole campaign in like a month or whatever there's, there's no that should have been like two years worth of content right there but they're hungry for more and they want big campaigns and it's like well you know the show well, we, campaigns is that they they're expensive right but those big hard covers are not cheap right and uh it's a lot of entertainment like if you think about rpgs and their their value right they, like like the the and, and the amount of entertainment you get for for one book is is significant right especially if we pack it full of story potential right um but uh yeah big campaign I, i'd love to do something like that e- even uh you know um al al spader has has been bugging me for a while now to want to do a um a multi-ship campaign at a convention where you can have like four tables going doing different things but they're all related to the big story so like they all run their individual two to three hour session 
And then they all come together for a big session at the end. And I'm like, I love the idea, but just like logistically, how do you make that work? And yeah. uh, I haven't cracked the nut on that yet. And I, I don't know when we'll get there, but it, that's just like a cool idea that that he's been pushing for a while now. And I'm like, yeah, you're wearing me down, but like, I need to see how is that, how would that work in practice? And I know that, uh, you know, Modiphius certainly is still growing and we just don't have the, the infrastructure in place to do like really big organized play type of stuff yet. Uh, I know we're working on it and, and we're getting there, but uh, that's, that's another kind of like related dream concept of like, how do we make these really cool, like you were saying about Jackson, where he was running two campaigns, one playing on one federation, and then they came together. It's like, I've heard other game masters talk about that. And it's like, oh man, that's really cool. Um, but like, but just like logistically, how do we make that work? You know? So, so Michael, I apologize. I think I cut you off at one. Point. No, no, I was going to say side note, there is one Star Trek adventure, super fan. And please text me or, or hit me up when you see this video. I forget who it is. They claim to have played every single module in mission brief. And, and I'm like, wow. <laughs> Wow. And, and, and I, I told him I got to have him on the show at some point, but they claim they, they, they've somehow, even if they haven't played the full module, they've used something from everyone. So that, that person fascinates me and I will definitely be digging into their brain at some point. Yeah, that's a, that's a gold prize right there. Cause we, we, we have got to be pushing on 250 discrete stories, if not more at this point, I, I know we've done more mission briefs and we've got more coming and uh, you know, we got the, um, um, the lower decks book coming out now, which mm-hmm. has briefs in it. Uh, so it just, that's a lot of story. Like I, I want to know who this person is because whatever yeah. they did become wealthy and stay home and play RPG all day. I, I, I've obviously made the wrong life decision somewhere. So I need to know this person. I want, I want that kind of time so that, so that I can do this, this kind of uh, thing. And then I can also play. I would love to do that. <laughs> Wouldn't that be great? All right, cool. So I think we're at our gratitude moment. We go around every show and we, we, we talk about gratitude. My gratitude is actually going to be to everyone who was so nice to me when we started continuing missions and accepted interviews. So that includes you, Chris. I think about Ian Lemke. I think Marco Raffala. I think about Aaron Paulier, Troy. Met. I, these are all people I met initially. Uh, the Bridges, Tilly and Susan. Like just the fact that they, Dayton Ward. I remember Dayton Ward. I freaked out when he actually accepted an interview, Scott Pearson. And, and uh, I just want to just thank um, all the creators out there who understand the importance of, of the little bloggers and stuff like that and keeping the fa- paying attention to the fans because I'm always going to be the ultimate fan geek uh, fanboy. I always feel that way. I always have imposter syndrome when something comes out. And so I just really appreciate um, this, you, Chris, for accepting the interview initially and Jim, of course, because you're really giving a voice for so many different artists and creators. So that's my my thank you today, Jim. And then oh, let's do Chris and then we'll finish with Jim. Mm-hmm. Uh, my gratitude. Uh, I got I got two, I got three things, three, three uh, entities I would like to give that to. First off to Modiphius and the entire STA team for basically taking on a, a rookie to RPG writing and taking them into the, into their, into their circle and allowing me to, you know, you know, contribute to not, not only this game, but to, to a, a, a franchise that I have loved since I was very young. Um, also to, the players of Star Trek Adventures who, you know, if, if you found any um, value or enjoyment in any of the, any of my contributions to the game, thank you so much. 
Uh, I can't, can't, I can't express my gratitude enough. And, uh, on a, and lastly, on a personal note, uh, I just like to say thank you to, uh, my daughter, Nicole, who, uh, I told I was going to be doing this and she's a big YouTube person. So, I mean, she, I'm, I'm, she's going to be thrilled to see, <laughs> see your old man on, uh, on yay. <laughs> So, awesome. so Nicole, I love you. I, I hope I hope I didn't embarrass you too bad. <laughs> uh. <laughs> Kids love it. They 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 hate it when it happens, but I still remember that my dad screaming, I love you, when he would drop me off for school. And at first you cringe, but now looking back, I'm like, that was the best thing that ever happened to me. Mm-hmm. And, and All right, you. Jim. Go. Got it. Okay. Uh yeah, well, I'm gonna um Gosh, not to sound self-serving, but Chris, it's been such a long time since I've talked to you at at, at, uh, at Gen Con. I I got to thank you for being being such a a, st- a steady freelancer and and steady uh, steady hand on uh, all the work I throw your way. You're you're consistent. You're good, and that's all I can ever ask for in a in a freelancer is to is to be communicative and consistent and good. And and you you've risen to every challenge I've thrown your way, and I always want to give you more. And you always find ways to have time in your schedule. And that's, I always appreciate that. Uh, you know, Michael does the same thing. It's like, you guys never say no. And it's like, uh, I don't know if you ever would, <laughs> which is okay. That's a good problem to have. But, uh, I mean, you are, uh, one of the, I, I'd have to go back and look at the credit pages, but I think you're one of the few freelancers who've been on since, since the division books. I think, I think you and Fred and, uh, maybe a couple others. I, again, I, I apologize to everybody who's watching and listening that I don't remember. It's just, there's so many, um, products and names to remember, but you've, you consistently delivered for a long time now. And I'm grateful for you, um, day in and day out. Cause I, I know like when I've got, when I've got a, a, a product, a project to work on and I've got to find the writers to work on it. It's like, I, I got some very reliable people that I can trust that will get it done. And I don't really have to like, um, I, I don't mean this in a negative sense. I, I don't have to, I don't have to babysit them. I don't have to kind of shepherd them along. Like I can just give them a thing and they can go off and run and do it. And I got the confidence that when it comes to, to the deadline or even earlier, because you guys are consistently early, um, I'll get it. And uh, sometimes I feel bad because um, I don't always have time to give you notes and then do revisions and then go into approvals and stuff. But like most of the time, you guys, especially you, Chris, you deliver such clean drafts. It's like, oh, I just need to make a few tweaks. And uh, maybe, I, maybe I'm not great on my feedback and I can work on that. Um, <laughs> um you know, I just I'm grateful that you have been here for a long time and that you are you are steady and reliable and that I, that as a editor um, and the project manager that's just that's worth its weight in Latinum <laughs> to keep it in, in franchise and I'm grateful for that so thank you for being here thank you for loving Star Trek the way you do because it comes out in your writing the fans notice it I notice it and that's why we keep coming back to you for more work because it's there the passion's there and uh, again grateful for that so I uh, hope to give you lots more work here in the coming uh, coming months and years. I know we've got a bunch of products in the works right now that you've been working on that we haven't talked about yet and that we haven't announced yet, but that'll, that'll come in due course and uh, more to come. So uh, hopefully you'll uh, you'll be willing to continue to come with me and uh, Michael and everybody else on the ride for as long as we can uh, make this happen. So uh, uh, yeah, grateful for you. And then of course, um, I would be remiss if I didn't thank all the fans. Um, like I said, or, you know, we talked about at the top of the show, um, Lower Decks was announced today. The, the fan response has been pretty overwhelming. I think this is one of the first, other than maybe Utopia Planitia, this is the first release where I, I've actually felt parts of today where I felt kind of overwhelmed with just how much positive energy was coming out of the, 
woodwork. It, it was, uh, you know, the subreddit, it was Discord, it was Twitter, it was Facebook. It was like eight or nine different places online where I was seeing all this stuff happening. And I was so pissed off because my day job blew up today. And I was so busy on my day job that I couldn't really, I, I didn't have enough time to really get on social media. To, to <laughs> Jim, tell them what happened. I woke up, I woke up West yeah. Coast time. And, and, and really, Jim, tell, tell them what I, I, I'm sure I want your perspective on. What was I like when I woke up totally confused? You were, you were, you were giddy and confused because it was like five in the morning. And, and uh, we, had the, we had the opportunity to do the exclusive with Star Trek.com for two hours. And they released the press release at five in the morning Pacific time. And like, like Michael emailed or texted me and he was like, what's going on? I can't keep up. What's happening? And he was all confused. I'm like, oh, it's, you know, this is happening. It's all good. And he's like, and I then, fell out of bed. My wife's like, what happened? Now? I'm like struggling out of bed with my phone. My eyes aren't focused yet. Yeah. I'm like, what's all, all my, all my friends are what texting happened? me. I was totally bewildered. I, I finally yeah. said, I, I finally said, I'm getting off of text for like an hour just to catch up because I was like totally take overwhelmed. Take a break. Take a break. It's all good. Mm. Um, but yeah. So the, the fan response has been really, really positive to Star Trek. Uh, to I mean, specifically lower decks, but the fact that we brought lower decks into the into the game line finally is uh, is really encouraging, and we would not be doing this if it weren't for the fans over the last seven years. Uh, so thank you all, all you fans, so much for your support for for playing the game, for for getting on Twitch and YouTube and all those other ways that you're playing the game and sharing your experiences with other people because that is what's getting people into the game more than us talking about it. Right? You said it yourself, Chris. You were watching Shield of Tomorrow. And that's what really got you loving Star Trek again on a weekly basis. And we, we've had Shield of the Tomorrow on the show and we've told them how much we love them and how grateful we are. And, um, and, and again, it's the fans watching that stuff and then sharing it and picking it up from there. So uh, we're doing this absolutely for the fans because we're fans too. We're sharing it. We're doing it for the fans. We love the fans. We love, we love Star Trek. Uh, so thanks Damn. everybody. Um, and, you know, this is going to sound weird, but I also want to thank, and this is kind of weird because like they'll, ne they'll never see it, but like, I know for a fact that there are fans playing this game, enjoying this game, buying this game, who are not even online, right? They're not they're not engaged with the social media, they're not engaged with the newsletters. They're just out there out in the world buying their games from the from their friendly local game store or from Amazon or from whoever. And they're meeting every week or every other week playing the game. And we just don't know it. There's just like this the shadow group of gamers that are out there. Uh, because like I know that. Yeah, I've done the numbers and uh, the, the online presence of the game is very small compared to the numbers that I've seen. Uh, mm. So you're saying I should take this show on the road and find yeah. those gamers. Find them. Yeah, they're out there somewhere. I want mm. them to know they are. I, you know, I, travel, I travel quite a bit. I may have to start like jumping in on sessions or finding people. This would be interesting. Awesome. They are. I mean, host that show in search of. So. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Where I, are you? <laughs> I love this. I love this. All right. Well, well, Chris, again, I, I'm just so happy that you were able to come on the show finally after so many years and, and share your talent with us. So really appreciate that. Um, you coming on. Thanks so much. Glad to be here and um, I'm available anytime. This has been amazing. Uh, oh. It's been great to talk to you guys. <laughs> well, we will have you back for definitely for the lower decks release and all yes. the stuff in the future, which we can't talk about. LD, LD was the most torture for me this year, not talking about, by the way, because people kept asking about it. And so now finally that it released, I feel like I can sleep tonight, which is cool. But. <laughs>
but the big, uh, the big weight has been oh god because everyone kept asking it was horrible it's like not being able to say anything so that's fantastic yeah. all right so until next time everyone idic live long and prosper be safe be well talk to you all real soon 